Uh, so Water Break with Waterboy on Thursday here. Uh, make sure you guys uh, come to our rally in South Dakota. Make sure you guys sign up, subscribe to our magazine, and, of course, club supporters. Can't thank you guys enough for joining us and supporting what we're doing. We want to create an army of Fight Laugh East club members, and we thank you for the thousands that have already joined us in supporting what we're doing in our efforts here. I have with me on the show today, you guys are going to wonder, um, this is all going to come together, but I have with me here Pastor Mark, and it, it's Pastor Mark uh, Robinette. Robinette? It's Robinette. Robinette. So that's my, my Texan kind of coming in there and messing everything up. Um, <laughs> pastor Robinette, he's, he's a, a pastor actually at uh, the Foundation Church of Mount Sterling, Ohio. Okay. Yep. You're, you're award-winning journalist. That's interesting. Fantastic. Foreign missions. You're involved in all sorts of foreign missions, especially with our current topic we're going to be discussing here today with uh, Myanmar. Uh, and then you've worked with the, the Chen people. In America, uh, you can find out more about Pastor Robinette at missiontomyanmar.com or his church, foundationsofgrace.org. Pastor Robinette, thanks for joining me on my show here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for the uh, uh, opportunity. Yeah, so you, uh, we'll get into Myanmar here in a minute, but first, you're a pastor in Ohio. Uh, how long have you been pastoring this current church in Ohio? Um, my wife and my family and I started this church, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, we just had our 20th anniversary. No way. And are, yeah. uh, wh- where's your background? Where's your training? Um, I actually have been pastoring for 32 years. Um, I started as a Pentecostal preacher at age 19. Okay. Um, I was preaching before that, uh, memorized a lot of scripture and in a Pentecostal church, if you can quote it. And you can uh, do it to the beat. Yep. Uh, you can be in the pulpit, <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what I used to do. That's funny. So, so uh, no real formal theological training. It's kind of been on the job since. That's right. Yeah, I, I memorized a pretty vast amount of scripture. I was, I was one of the greatest Bible quizzers in the world, and wow. uh, that that scriptural knowledge really built the foundation for my ministry. And so. When I was examined by my uh, Presbyterian elders, who are pretty, pretty serious about biblical knowledge, I was able to pass because I knew the Bible. I may not have known the Westminster as well as the Bible, but right. I knew it better. Maybe that's great. And so now, now on this theological journey, where are you at now? Yeah, um, we started an inner city church in downtown Columbus in an area called the Bottoms. It's the lowest part of the city, so low that they built floodgates around it. So if the city floods, that area floods. Uh, but we started our church among the drug addicted and uh, rough living crew and made a lot of converts of singles. And they moved out to the country where I lived. And uh, they they have been a part of our church ever since. They married each other okay. and had a bunch of kids. Okay. And then uh, you're... Your church kind of grew out of that, and where your where current church is now. That's right. It's it's the same people. It was a city church, and now it's a country church because they all live out by me. Now you've been involved with a lot of work in Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar kind of fascinates me, or is interesting to me, because our our denomination has done some work with some of the churches in Myanmar, um, also. Uh, so I've, okay. I've I have a little bit of familiarity with uh, Myanmar, not much. Um, but um, let's get into your work on, on Myanmar. How did you get connected to what's going on over there, and what are you doing? Um, well, um, several years ago, I was praying for the Lord to send me to a 
mission work somewhere that needed help. Uh, at, when I did the church in the inner city, I really, really felt like I didn't have a lot of help. And so I was kind of frustrated with the, that. And so God was challenging me in my heart to find somebody who needed help, who was doing good work. And so I went on this journey. And um, a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul Jr. Um, invited me to visit the people of Myanmar, which he was friends with, and his uh, cohort, Doug Jones, uh, who had been there as well. Okay. Yep. And uh, they, they, they wanted uh, someone from our denomination to go, and I got picked. And I went, I ended up going alone. Uh, R.C. Jr. got sick and uh, wasn't able to go. And so I ended up there alone. And uh, it was at that time a dangerous and scary place to go. And it's kind of appears to be kind of becoming that again. But uh, it was pretty frightening on my first go around. Right. Yeah. So you, yeah. So I remember when Doug uh, was um, working on that or kind of helped start or find, uh, kind of got in there. So you're actually there with or, or started this. With Doug and RC Jr., huh? Yeah, absolutely. Now and um, go, go ahead, go. Oh, I was just gonna say, and so when I when I got there, uh, I was so startled by what I found um, that I didn't actually believe it was real. Right. Uh, there were about forty five people living in a uh, a block house, orphans, Bible school students, all this stuff that they were telling me they were doing. Uh, and they were all eating off of a fire uh, that they were cooking meals in the backyard, this little tiny fire, you know, about two feet by two feet. And they told me they ate one meal a day. And I thought, they must be making this stuff up. There's no, no one can do this. Um, But it's a very long story. That's why I wrote a book about it. (laughs) Um, And uh, the amazing journey of me getting to know them and then finding out who they are. They're, They're just incredible, resilient, humble people. Right. And uh, so you're, you're connected with the orphanage over there, and it's some sort of seminary in uh, a church. It's all kind of in the same building. Um, well, there are many churches spread around the country, but they all started uh, from this one man's ministry that I work with there who, for right now, I actually don't even want to say his name because of what's happening over there. I don't want to bring undue attention to his name. Right, right. And and so, uh, how many churches are kind of part of this connected work? In uh, there are sixteen. There's sixteen churches, yeah. uh, maybe somewhere under about two thousand believers in the network that go from Rakhine State, which is over to the west coast, on the ocean there, the Bay of Bengal, some in Yangon, and others up in Chin State. What's the What's the recent kind of history of Myanmar? Why is um, uh, is it a democratic? nation or, or what what is kind of some of the recent history the the, the recent history um if, if you think north korea almost uh other than the single dictator and you replace the single dictator with a military junta of a bunch of kind of brutal generals um they have been ruling there for quite a long time uh it was um Many years ago, prior to World War One, it was a British colony from the from the 1800s until until World War Two, and uh, the Japanese uh, took it over. But then it went back to the British, okay. um, and so for a long time, anyway, they've been uh, working. Try, the people have wanted democracy. They've tried to get it lots of times. A lot of them have been killed trying to do it. Uh, but eventually, in 2011, uh, they were able to have free democratic elections and. 
they kind of saw, hey, wait a minute, maybe everything's changing. Uh-huh. And, and obviously, uh, just, just recently, there's a military coup that has kind of come back into power. Yeah. One of the things that the people were afraid of is if if we open up and we begin living, you know, freely and people see, they'll see who we are. And then the military will then take over again uh, and they'll know who we are. So then they can eradicate all of us who are trying to organize democracy or oh, those wow. that are spreading Christianity. And they were, they've been worried about this quite a lot. Right. Um, so and they, I hope this is what's happening. So they uh, had their, what, one of their first elections in, in what, 50 years back in 2011? Yeah, uh, and, and they uh, they elected this uh, this this woman, but but this woman is the daughter of the former leader of the country. That's what her connection is, and she uh, she leads a party for democracy. And so, as soon as she uh, was elected president, the way that the military dealt with this loss in the election, which they thought they could engineer a win for themselves, is they said, "Okay, you're president, but you're not allowed to leave your house." So she, so she was uh, in her house for a long time, um, but eventually they let her out. And uh, so she's kind of the de facto head of this movement, but yeah. hasn't been allowed to be the public head of it, you know, the official head in the government. They have other people that are elected and run things in her stead. So who's running the government, the military? Or during this 2011 to, to now, who was running the government? Was it really democratically kind of run by those who were elected or was it still the military? Well, it's it's kind of a it, it's it's hard to tell. Uh, you, there's a very big military presence when you're there. Uh, there's no separation between police and the military. All the police are walking around with machine guns, and uh, there's a lot of military activity going on in the country. And most everything is owned by these generals. So you know, if you go to a mall, they'll tell you which general owns that mall. Um, and so, so they own all the property and you can just kind of understand basically what, so that, so they did have the election, but when it comes down to certain things, really the, everyone knew the military was in charge. Right. Uh, and, and so they try not to defy them. Um, but apparently the military couldn't take what they've been doing and they're wanting to stop it. Right. So the, so the military went in and I guess seized, um, the president uh, I forget. I forget her. 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 Or I can't really pronounce her name. Uh, what, what's her name? Yeah, it's Ong San Suu Kyi. Okay. And Ong, it's like Anne, but it's A U N G. Ong. Ong. Okay. And and yeah. they just seized her last week. Why did Why did they yeah. Why did they all of a sudden decide after what you know five eight years or whatever to seize her? Um, well, what they are saying to the public, which is under major lockdown. Um, cell phones, Facebook, Wi-Fi, all that has been cut off for the people there. Oh. What they're saying is that she illegally imported uh, walkie-talkies. And uh, so they had to put her <laughs> they have to put her in custody. Uh, which, you know, maybe to you and I that sounds very silly, but uh, you know, that's the reason they're giving, but obviously they're they're not happy with the fact that they lost uh, 83% of the seats in the uh, House of Representatives that they wow. had. Wow. And um, was that like this last election, this most recent election, they lost those seats? There, there have been two elections, yeah. And and so the first election, they they lost bad, uh, but they had put a law in. The military junta put a law 
saying that they couldn't lose certain amounts of seats. Those seats were always going to be theirs whether they win or lose. Yeah. So they lost all of the other ones pretty much. Wow. And then in the second election, they lost even more. Um, so so they're, they're, they were resoundingly defeated by their by their people in this in this election. And some people were, were excited and were thinking, wow, we're really going to have freedom and it's going to be great. And, um, you know. And so the, the government really, the, the, those who are elected, the Democratic elected government doesn't really have any authority over the military. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I think they understand. And it is hard for people to understand the brutality, uh, you know, of the military over these people for so many years. When I went there, uh, if you would, if people wouldn't look at me, uh, a camera was not even allowed to be in the entire country. So could you imagine that, you know, and so I would go to talk to people and they would, you know, kind of turn their head down. Um, and I was wondering what was wrong. I didn't quite understand it. Um, but but I did come to realize what the, what the issue was. And it's, it's just, it's, you know, in the world, um, it, it is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian, but it's a dangerous place just to be a person there too. Wow. I was going to ask, that was my next question is what is the, what is kind of the Christian, history of Myanmar? What is the religious history of Myanmar? Yeah, predominantly Buddhist. Uh, in the mountains, uh, there is a lot of, uh, of a religion called animism, which is basically demon worship. Mm. Um, and it's really, really horrible. I wouldn't even really want to talk about what they do, but it's pretty horrible. Um, but a child, guy child by sacrifice, the, uh, like child sacrifice kind of stuff. Uh, well, torture of animals. Um, they, what they do is they try to do things that are so evil and so horrible that the demons enjoy it. And so the, the not-so-bad demons enjoy it enough to fight off the really, really bad demons who would cause trouble in their life. Wow. So, uh, you know, and, and so they don't really think that the God of heaven has much to do with them. It's more these demons that they deal with. So... Buddhism, though, is the predominant religion among the the people of of, of the country. But in uh, in the in the 1800s, a man by the name of Adoniram Judson came there uh, with his wife Anne. And uh, when they came, they were America's uh, first missionaries to be sent out into the world. Isn't that kind of neat? That's a, a neat connection we have. Uh, when the Judsons came, they, they, he wrote a book on the Golden Shores, which is a, one, of, one of the great missionary stories of the ages. Uh, but he ended up losing three wives and six children. Um, and, and he had said, I will not leave Burma until the cross of Christ is planted there forever. Wow. And uh, he has a great story. Yeah. Uh, and so um, the, the people that I actually work with are the Chin people. And there was another American couple, uh, Arthur and Laura Carson, who came in the right at the turn of the century, right in the early like 1899. They arrived in Chin State as the first missionaries there, and and the, the neat thing is that 90 percent of an entire people group, the Chin, were converted to Christianity, mm-hmm. and there are millions of these people. Right. Uh, in fact, there are 300,000 of them in America that have come here for political asylum. Um, the, the people of, of, of Myanmar really relate with us because we used to be a British colony, and they used to be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always wanted democracy like we have. When we recognized Israel as a country, um, they were the next country to recognize it after the United States. <laughs> okay. 
so anyway, there's a, there's just a neat connection between the countries with American missionaries bringing Christianity there had quite an impact on the country. Why why did uh, Britain not really help kind of give them a better government before they kind of set them free or let them go? Well, that the what happened there was the they didn't like the fact that they were colonized by by Great Britain uh, yeah. and. So when the Japanese came and offered them to be delivered from them, they said, oh, this will be great. Uh, but when the Japanese uh, took their place, they, they were so horrible that the, um, that the Burmese people went back to Britain and said, we will be a colony again if you'll get the Japanese <laughs> out of our country. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, and so they did. But if you remember... Um, and you know, depending on what you know about the, the history of that part of the world, um, the 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 country of India uh, was divided, and uh, there was they they considered all of this area actually they called it India. Okay. So a lot of Burma they would just call India. Right. But there's a lot of history with the whole thing. But uh, they they basically wanted to uh, emancipate a lot of their colonies because the, the you know the, it was difficult to keep all that together. And of course, the people wanted to, to govern themselves, and so they they worked out a deal, and they 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 didn't uh, cast off, you know, they didn't throw the British out. They made a transition, uh, but but it's been difficult for them to govern themselves, uh, and so communism tried to take over. Wars, there's there's been constant civil war there ever since, and there's civil war there right now. So, um, and and you're saying that the, the church is largely underground in Myanmar. Um. Well, no, not now. Um, but but a lot of the to be a Christian in that country um, means you're not going to get a good job. Uh, it means you'll be heavily and openly discriminated against. It's a okay. felony to convert a Buddhist to Christianity Ooh. on purpose. Wow! Uh, you will go to prison. Um, and so you know they. It, it hasn't been until these last few years that they have had religious freedom. Wow! And yeah. And does who's more threatened by the religious freedom? Is it the military coup, or is it the uh, you know the democratic uh, uh, government? Um, well, you know, some are saying, and some of the guys our contacts in the country told us that the guy who's in charge now is is the most brutal of all of the generals and the most hostile to Christianity. A note I got today, if I read it, it would be startling maybe to people. Uh, but he said, blood is going to run in the streets. They're going to gather up the Christians, and they're going to kill them all. Uh, this is what his fear is. So the, the Christians there are not looking with great uh, you know, anticipation about what's going to happen next based on the history of the guy who's, who's taken over. Right. And so uh, how are Christians— um uh, functioning right now. Have you been in touch with any of the pastors over there since the yeah. coup, since the coups happened? Yes, I have. Uh, and thankfully, this is one of these things we can give praise to God uh, for technology. The the use of VPNs, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. the the virtual private networks. Before they could they they could just see everything you say and you know all this stuff. When the, and so when they turn off these services, they are cut off. But but they can't do it now. Technology has made their way in, and um, several of these guys are telling me the names of their VPNs. They're telling me how we can communicate, and right. the, you know. So what a great blessing! So we are still able to communicate with them, and 
you know, we're their their country is right next to Thailand, which is one of our uh, great allies of of America. Right. And so, really, if we need to reach them, which we we will, we're not going to just let them be. You know, we're not. Right. If the country gets cut off, we will continue to support the church there. Right. Uh, but we'll just do it through Thailand. Right now, that's like the Free Burma Rangers. You may be familiar with them. They, they that's kind of how they work. They work through. Thailand and they go and they help the the people that are suffering in the civil war that's been going on for years and years. Right. What's what's kind of like the economy makeup of of Myanmar? Um the if a person has a really good job, uh he will make maybe $5 a day in Myanmar. And it's not cheaper to live there than it is here. In fact, it's more expensive to live there than it is here. Really? Uh, gasoline is more expensive. Food is just as expensive. Uh, they don't have factories. Uh, so everything they have is imported. A car costs sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 for uh, a, a nothing kind of a car. Right. Uh, so it's really bizarre. Um, so you have in that country this super, super rich that are rich beyond imagination. Uh, and then everybody else is just on the verge of starvation. How did they That's, get, how did they get, so, you know, how did these people get so rich well they're the military Um, it's the military and the military's brother and uncle and cousin and friends and uh one one missionary leader uh told me he went into one of their homes and his entire house was filled with cash from the floor to the ceiling um the entire house and uh with american dollars and yeah, and he said, "Well, we just don't have anywhere to spend it. You know, we've bought our planes, we've bought our Lamborghinis, we've we've bought right. whatever, but we don't have we don't have anywhere to spend this money." Um, Why is it so, American cash? Um, because the you know the the Myanmar chat uh, is about fifteen hundred to to one dollar, uh-huh. uh, and their inflation is is just you know up and down and up and down and up and down. Right. Um, and so the American dollar has been a stabilizing factor. Uh, so if you go there, you have to take American money uh, to to do most of what you need to do. Over I there. guess I guess my question is: I'm getting at um, is the government is our government funding the Myanmar government over there? Is our government giving money to the military? Or I mean, how's our cash getting over there? Um, people people bring it and then trade it. Uh, kind of like if somebody wants something, you know, the demand for it, if it's American jeans or even the American dollar itself, uh, it's going to find its way over there. And so these people, you know, they're so poor. This is, if if you've ever really worked with super poor people, they learn how to do certain things. Uh, they will figure out if there's like, like they know that if they can escape their country and go to Malaysia, they know that Malaysia has a certain treaty with America where they might be able to get a visa to come here. Wow. But somehow they're poor, but they figure that out. These guys are so poor that they um, they sell their cooking utensils after they cook in the morning. And then they buy them when they get paid at the end of the day. They buy them, they rent them or buy them back and sell them again. Yeah. Like we're talking very, very poor, very, very uh, you know, difficult circumstances for these people, uh, that's so beyond our imagination. I, I went to this one village and I didn't realize it was on the ocean. Um, I wasn't, you know, we were, we've been in the car for hours and hours and I'm, I've been there teaching in this village. And so I was tired and I walked over in this beautiful, beautiful, uh, ocean with white sands and all this stuff. And I said, why is nobody swimming? And they said, if we swim, we will starve. Because like, they'll, just they, burn, I, they'll just burn calories. 
the the idea, yeah, the idea of recreation. I I ask him if they'd gather up some firewood and let's build a fire on the beach, and I'll I'll teach out there. And they were it, they were in horror that I would waste, and I I felt so bad. I didn't understand where I was. I didn't understand it. Um, but wow. it's it's hard to 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 relate to that kind of poverty until you see it. And so basically, you know, if these any of these poor people start innovating or start let's say growing rice or starting their own farm fields or whatever, it'll just get co-opted or taken over by the military or the, the leadership. Oftentimes. Yes, that's exactly what happens. And the, yeah, they, it had been illegal to own a business if you are a Christian uh, until last year. Wow. Uh, and we had some business leaders who were willing to make some investments. We were thinking about building a water factory even uh, in the, in the country. Uh, but you know, because wow, now Christians can own a business. Right. <laughs> this could be this could be revolutionary. Right. You know, has is our government like involved in putting any pressure on like the military coup or? or on well, the government? I, I'm trying to. If I had the figure here in front of me, what's funny is it's either 350 or 850 million dollars in aid had just arrived in the country uh, the day before the coup, oh, uh, and and from America. So it you know it goes straight to these people. There's been a lot of aid from the United Nations in the western part of the country uh, among the people of Rakhine because there's been uh, uh, the Muslims there are being pushed out um, by the Buddhists into Bangladesh. Right. And what do, what do you mean aid? Is it like cash going to the government to be distributed to the people or, or like, I mean, what kind of aid? Um, it was supposed to be, you know, economic development aid to help them to, you know, build factories, create jobs, you know, whatever, you know, right. to me, all politicians are less than truthful. So who knows what in the world happened to the money right. <laughs> or, right. or was it supposed to be done with it? Does that, this is probably an annual thing. So we probably annually send money over there, you know, whatever it is, the 800 million or whatever it ends up being. And yeah, it, it, it seems like that kind of process, that kind of exchange between, between our government and their government incentivizes their government to keep the status quo with what's going on with their people. Well, you know, be, I think that the political strategy, at least what, what had been uh, the strategy was, you know, the year that I went for the first time, uh, Barack Obama actually came. And he came back again in a year. No president had been there in all of these years because it wasn't a safe place to go. Uh -huh. But what they were hoping to do is they were trying to kind of turn uh, the, Myanmar into another Thailand uh, or even even another uh, Vietnam. Uh, there's a lot of you, you can you can get a lot of work done at factories at super low wages. Right. Uh, and, and China was exploiting, you know, Myanmar for all of its resources and, uh, you know, they were like, we'll be your friends instead of China. And so there was this move away from China toward the United States. Uh, banks started cooperating with them. A Ford dealership opened up. Visa began available. ATMs, you know. Yeah. Uh, and all that changed in the last few years uh, when we were there. Wow. Meaning uh, that it started to disappear again? Um, like, yeah. Like Visa and a lot, a lot of those places, they started to disappear or diminish? Um, well, we don't know what happened. Just the, you know, I'm sure the machines and all that stuff are there, but before you could not, there were no banking. Uh, uh -huh. we had all, all, we had completely cut off communications and aid and anything. You couldn't really even travel to Myanmar. Uh, uh okay. 
it was like North Korea. It right. was like, if you go there, you may never come out. And if you do, we, you know, we're not going to come in and get you. Right. That's the way it was up until, uh, 2011, 2012. Okay. And, and, and so after that it opened up. So Christians all just, you know, that they were like, we want to get in there. We want to help. Right. They kicked all the Christians out of Myanmar in 1966. Uh, the Johnson family, you know, had been in there forever Right. And uh, they had really done some great work among the, the Karens and the Chin people, and okay. they they kicked them out. They were the last ones out. No missionaries had been there uh, freely and openly working, not underground, uh, since the 1960s. Oh, and when it opened up. Uh, we we got to go back in there, uh, and I mean, I had never been there, but you know, I was a part of the the Christians that wanted to go and help. Is the is the church in Myanmar kind of growing through all this? You know, uh, since this really the 60s. Did it really grow through all this? Yeah, there are there are millions of uh, believers. Um, you know, you, you'll go in a village so far away where when they will come up and and I've had them touch my face. They've never seen anybody with uh, white skin, and uh, they'll have they'll have three Christian churches in it, and they've all been converted from animism, and they're living these beautiful Christian lives in these mountains. Um, there are millions of them there. This is. One of the, the reason I wanted to do my ministry with them, you know how Jesus said, uh, you know, I was sick and you didn't visit me. I was hungry. Um, a lot of people just they, they miss the, the, the preciseness of what Jesus was talking about. He didn't say go feed the hungry. He didn't say even visit prisoners. And I'm not against going to be prisoners. But he said, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Right. And so. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. These right. are those that have been called out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. Right. And and I'm going to go to heaven and be with them. And, and am I going to sit at home and be, you know, warm and fed and fat and sassy and, and they're over there suffering? You know, I don't think so. Right. And so, so I want to help them. And, you know, uh, it's really helping my brothers and sisters. There are millions of them there. Uh, there are crosses in there on the tops of their mountains in these beautiful villages, and and they love the Lord. You you come there and they they weep. They go, we can't believe you came, we can't believe you would come here. I had a man tell me he went four days. He crossed an active battlefield where he was almost killed, uh-huh. cr- crossing rivers, and and he said, I said, what did you come for? He said, I came to hear the word of God. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like from me. What do I what do I have to teach you? You've been living in this guy. This this man had eight children and he was living under a tarp. Uh, his home and village had been burned in the Civil War, and he basically lives in a field. Wow. And, and and he traveled four days to see me. Like I have something to to, to tell him. Right, right. It's and, just like uh, any refreshing water. Any encouragement is is really um, uh, refreshing to them. Well, it's like the country was locked up in prison. And, and, and now circulation can come the, and the, and, and, and I'll tell you what, and, and this is in my, it's in my book because it, it really, really hit me so hard. I, when I, I went there, I was so overwhelmed by the poverty. I was praying. I'm like, Lord, I can't go back. I can't even spend, I, I don't, I'm not a man of great means. I don't have a giant church with a big budget, you know, and I couldn't even personally afford to buy a plane ticket. And, and so I'm like, Lord, how in the world what am I going to, if I could take this money, I could just give it to them. And so, so I had a doctor who was willing to go with me and uh, a couple people in total, our, our, our amount just to travel would be thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. 
And I called them on the phone and I said, I just want to send it to you. I don't want to come. And they said, keep the money. Mm-hmm. They said, we want you. Right, right. And I was like, oh, my word, you know. And they they, they love us. And I'll tell you something humorous and, and sweet, you know. They said, we prayed that God would send us someone. And and, and, and I'm a lot, lot bigger than these guys. I, I'm sitting behind the camera here. You can't quite see me. But I'm kind, <laughs> of, kind of a big fella. And they said, and God sent us. Abraham and I, my beard was really long <laughs> at the yeah. time when I came, and uh, they, you know they just they loved on me and and, and treated me so sweet. Um, and so you you referred you just referred to your book your book Myanmar yeah. Gold. Um, yeah. uh, give us a quick kind of summary of what Myanmar Gold is about. Yeah, Myanmar Gold. Uh, basically, the meaning of the the, the the book and the reason I chose the title was uh, I went there thinking I was going to bring them. Uh, you know, what they needed. I was the rich American coming to help the poor people. And I ended up discovering gold in these beautiful people. Uh, Myanmar Gold is kind of a, it's kind of two books in one. Part of it is just an introduction to the history and the people. A lot of the questions that you ask me uh, are explained in great detail about who they are. And then I kind of give my experience of visiting them for the first time and what it was like. But the other part of the book is really a book alone I used to be a newspaper investigative reporter. I did lots of interviews. And for for uh, for years and years, I interviewed people all over. I went 800 miles, well, not 800, 600 miles into the jungle. I haven't gone to the next step, which is actually further, but 600 miles up in there, interviewing people, hundreds of people, interviewing them. And I got the story of one village, how they came to Christ from animism, and the entire village is converted through this amazing story. And, and I didn't believe the story so much so that I had to go find out if it was true or not. And I verified through dozens and dozens of sources that the story I heard was true and I wrote it down. So that's what the second half of the book is, right. is that story uh, being told through witnesses that I obtained in a journalistic fashion. Okay. Very, very helpful. And that's on Amazon and. Yep. It's on Amazon. It's on foundations of that's that's helpful. Um, last question here. Uh, you know, how can we be praying for Myanmar? How can we be, uh, you know? Oh wait, actually, before that, what do you think is going to happen with this coup and what moving forward with the church and with uh, I guess even kind of this democratic quasi democratic government that's been in place? Well, um, you know, I think you know what I believe about uh, things in the sense that God will be glorified in yeah. it. Uh, may, may God be glorified through uh, great suffering of our brothers. Maybe so. Right. I hope not. I'll tell you something that is on my heart very specifically. My my, my good buddy's wife uh, that I love over there, who's the leader of this 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 network, his wife is due to have a baby right now. Wow. And all of the doctors have left the hospitals. Uh, and. You can that that's something you can put in your prayer request for them. I love them, and she had a very difficult birth last time. But we don't know what's going to happen, obviously. But we know that God will be glorified, in, whether in life or in death. Um, you know, uh, Dave Eubanks, the guy who runs Free Burma Rangers, said, you know, th- they may have overplayed their hand, and now that people have had freedom, they've done this. Maybe the people will rise up and, and crush the government yeah. because they've had a taste of freedom. And so he, you know, he's certainly a lot more on the ground than I am. I go and I'm there for three weeks at a time, you know, but I've spent about six months there in, in the country. Um, and so, you know, it, it's 
that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll tell you what, I have a brother in, in Myanmar and I love him yeah. and uh, I'm going to help him. If I got to, you know, uh, if I got to cross land and sea and go through a jungle to make sure he's got what he has, he's going to get it. Right. Right. Well, that is, that's, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I knew about Myanmar back when Doug Jones initially got connected with, uh, some of the group that you're connected with over there. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, just it's incredible to have to go through the, the I mean, we, we in america are so blessed and god's yeah. given us so much with you know i go back to every time I, I i grew up in texas and every time i i travel back to texas uh you know it's like there's a church on every corner it's like starbucks back there yeah and and at the same time like how spiritually uh dead texas is and all the the hollowness in the churches that are that are there and and god's yep. given us so much and we've we've squandered this inheritance uh here in, here in our country and we're feeling i think we're feeling that squandering more than ever with what with what's going yeah. on uh in these in this last uh you know last year even and to be able to you know over in Myanmar where uh a lot of these pastors and these these ministries where they're just just any sort of light helps, any sort of light encourages them, and and strengthens them. And I remember I, had a, I, got, I go please. Yeah. I got I got to tell you one more thing. Please, uh, yeah. We talk the hunger of these people. Yeah. Uh, I went to this village in uh, Rakhine State, which is it's such a bad place. Uh, they have a saying: um, if you encounter a, a cobra on one hand and a man from this place on the other, you have to kill the man first, and then after that, kill the snake. That's how bad of a place this is. Oh. So I go over there and uh, I ask the man I'm with, I'm like, what's going to happen? He said, well, we're going to have teaching from 8 in the morning until 3 p.m. I said, oh, we are. I said, who's going to teach? He says, you are. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, and you're going to do it for the next three days. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I did. And I, I used to brag that I could, you know, because I, I did the inner city work and I'm teaching. Yeah. I had all these Bible studies going and. And I'm like, man, I could teach all day and all night. I could teach, preach like Paul till they fall out of the window. Well, <laughs> I had a chance to find out, and I didn't quite have that endurance. Um, uh, but at one point, I was so tired. I was feeling so proud of myself for preaching and teaching so much. And I said, you know what? Is there anything more I can do for you people? And I, honestly, I was feeling like they'd say, oh, no, brother. No, no, not at all. You've just done so much. And they said, could you teach one more hour? <laughs> and I was, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on, let's do it. You know. Yeah. And, how uh, how, do, how do they get access to all the Bibles and and uh, content there? Um, in the past, uh, I, I know that during their time of isolation and persecution, Voice of the Martyrs um, made available an unlimited amount of Bibles to any of these people. They actually contacted me when I went. They wanted to know our network that we were working with, and they helped us too. Um, they. Uh, also do some neat stuff. Uh, they put the Bible on cell phones and yeah. uh, give them out Digital. and uh, yeah. ordinances and all kinds of stuff uh, that can't actually be seen on the right. phone. Uh, and so they do a lot of really, really neat special stuff uh, for these folks. And, you know, I haven't been working with them in the last couple of years, but uh, 
uh, they've taken on a different a different angle on what they're doing. Uh, but they helped a lot. I know with the Bibles, uh, they said, "How many you need? Where do you want them? They're there. You don't have to pay for anything. We'll we'll send them." That's that's fantastic. Well, uh, Pastor Mark, thanks for joining us. If you guys want to kind of stay up with what's going on with Pastor Mark and Myanmar Mission to Mission Mission to Myanmar dot com, and then that's and then his local church is foundationsofgrace.org. dot org. What what city are you in in Ohio again? Uh, Mount Sterling, Ohio, and my church is actually Foundation Church. The Foundations of Grace is uh, oh, where okay. I I have my book. Okay, uh, so, that's your publishing so, arm. Nope, that's okay. Yeah. So your yeah. publishing arm. So, let's be clear. Your publishing arms foundationofgrace.org, and then what's your church website? Um, foundationfellowshipchurch.org. Okay. Foundationfellowshipchurch.org. Well, hey, thank you so much for, for joining us, and we'll be praying for uh, the pastor's wife in Myanmar and uh, what what's going on there. So thank you so much, Pastor Mark, for joining us. Great talking to you. Thank you for the opportunity. May the Lord be with you. Yes, sir. For those who are uh, sticking around for another minute, if you guys have any uh, questions, we're going to say goodbye to Pastor Mark and cut him off here. Uh, but uh, if you guys have any questions in the chat box or on, uh, we're going to be, I'm, I'm on YouTube. So if you're on Facebook, hop over to YouTube. And uh, uh, I'm I'm now going to be branding this show Water Break with Water Boy. So some listener emailed me because I've been every every week I've been kind of talking about what am I going to brand the show? What am I going to make it? And, and so he suggested Water Break. And I thought that was pretty good. I was going to do it Whiskey Break. But that that might offend some of my Baptists. So this is Water Break with Water Boy, and we're going to be doing this every Thursday at 4 p.m. We have a great Sunday special coming on on Sunday. We have a fun uh, in-studio interview with uh, Pastor George Grant. So Pastor George Grant's going to be back in the studio for our Sunday special and everything. Um, really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in, joining us, sharing the show. Uh, this will drop on podcast later and everything. So be praying for Myanmar and what is going on. Uh, you know, one of the ways we can kind of uh, be with our brothers and sisters across the ocean and in these kind of experiences, be praying for them. Especially, I know, I think I know one of the, the pastors that he's referring to, pray for his wife as she's having a baby soon in the midst of all this turmoil and chaos over there. So um, may our country never turn into a thuggish country or thuggish leadership or thuggish military uh, like uh, what's going on in Myanmar. Um, maybe God keep us from that and our churches be able to flourish here in the United States. So, Be praying for them. Thank you guys for tuning in. Lord bless you.